Hey folks, Richard Tubb here, and I'm really excited for today's interview. I'm joined today by Ray Downs. Now, Ray is the CEO of Kemper Technologies, the industry leader in advanced layer two to seven application delivery controllers and application-centric load balancing. They give their clients an always-on application experience, coining the term AX. Kemp have been named one of the fastest growing technology companies in North America by Deloitte, and they're changing the way that modern data centers and service providers are building cloud-enabled application delivery infrastructure. Ray himself is a business leader with 20 plus years IT sector experience, and he's held numerous senior sales and channel development roles. Ray, welcome to Subtalk. Thank you very much, Richard. It's uh, great to be with you this morning. And um, yeah, I'm delighted that you've taken the time to have a chat with me today. Oh, my pleasure. And whereabouts do, where, where are you joining us from today? So I'm, I'm uh, on Long Island in, in New York. Um, the company was founded here in Long Island, actually, in the early 2000s. And um, our headquarter is now in New York City, but we still retain um, a pretty sizable base here in Long Island as well. Mm. Um, and yeah, the company is a developer of load balancing technology and services for mid-market enterprise and service providers. Yeah. Um, basically, we ensure all kinds of applications or web services are always available, running optimally for the application user, uh, no matter where that app is maintained. So if it's on-premise, if it's a public cloud, private cloud, or a hybrid cloud. Um, what we've noticed over the years is people just want their stuff to work. So we focus on making it really around that application experience. So for us, it's around resiliency, uh, responsiveness, security. Um, and for the tech folks, they want it to be easy to use and, of course, affordable. So that, 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 that's really been our value proposition um, since the early days. And when I talk about applications, what I'm talking about is, say, any Microsoft applications, anything from VMware, SAP, Citrix, Oracle, Adobe, IBM, um, those enterprise-grade applications, but also a lot of maybe more niche applications um, that, that, are, that are critical these days, like specific education apps, things like EduPoint or Blackboard. Um, that's, the, uh, that, 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 that's the landscape that we operate in. And the company, yeah. we've got 200 staff globally, um, six offices through, throughout the world. Uh, companies private equity owned. Uh, we were acquired by a private equity firm from New York um, called Millpoint Capital uh, at the beginning of last year. Um, after a number of years of being backed by venture capital groups uh, prior to that, so we went through the, um, the early phase, the, the high growth and um, now in private equity ownership. And there's really just three core products that we have. The, 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 the brains is really the load master, the product itself, which works around scale and security. Um, the management control interface is really the, uh, what we call central. It's around control visibility, helps with integration, API. Um, and the third one then is a product we have, which is called Vision, and it's really around detection of app or network issues to, to help people out. So, um, yeah, long-winded way of in, in introducing myself into business, but that's, uh, that, that's, that's what we are about at, uh, at Camp. 
Yeah. Now, for anybody with a keen ear, <laughs> you've said you're in New York there, but that's definitely not a New York native accent. So uh, whereabouts are you from originally and what, what sort of uh, brought you to being CEO of Kemp? Yeah, so I've, um, I'm originally from Ireland. I've uh, uh, spent a lot of my early career um, in Ireland, ended up working for uh, U.S. multinational uh, companies like uh, Cabletron and Terrasys Networks. Um, spent about a decade doing that and um, yeah, eventually branched out into sales and marketing consultancy, working with predominantly U.S. technology companies that were trying to find and set up channels and, and partnerships um, in Europe. Um, so built out my own consultancy business with, uh, with a partner at the time and did that for about another eight or nine years before uh, finding my way to Kemp. Originally, my, my, my plan was to move back to Ireland. Kemp were setting up an international base there um, for their international expansion and um, it coincided with an opportunity for me to go back and, and work in that market for the first time in, in, in a while. And about a year later, I got approached by the new owners to, um, uh, to, to move to New York and head up the operation. So, yeah, I've been here since 2012. Yeah, and an exceptional growth in that time as well. And I'll, I'll be upfront and honest. Um, until recently, you know, in the last sort of eighteen months ago, I'd not heard the name Kemp. And yet, since that time, um, you, you know, I I can see you know just what an impact you're having, and especially, I guess. At the time of recording, you know, we're during the COVID-19 pandemic and, and the, you know, the world has been turned upside down and technology is just keeping everything running. So while the pandemic has been a challenging time for everyone, you, you must have had some degree of satisfaction at how you've helped clients keep working because the load balancing tech is absolutely coming to the fore during this time, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's true. I think um, when when the pandemic happened first, I think most businesses were, were went straight into survival mode. Um, what do we have to do to keep the lights on? Um, what do we have to do to get our people back up and and and, and working remotely? Um, and we we saw a, a lot of different scenarios unfolding. Initially, you had some businesses that, quite frankly, were not geared up to having everybody remote. They didn't have the infrastructure. They, their, their primary focus seemed to be on, in some cases, emergency purchases. And I'm talking about laptops or um, VPN access, uh, software that they didn't even have the proper licensing for. Um, so there was a lot of reallocation of budgets. Um, nothing got cancelled, but some things got, uh, got delayed. Um, when, when, when they got people up and running, they realised that the applications needed to perform optimally. Um, and, and that they weren't. So suddenly load balancing came back into play and there was a number of uh, emergency purchases that were made for, in some cases, from people that had never really needed to or encountered load balancing. In other cases, people that were adding uh, more capacity. So um, some of the emergency purchases we were proud of was um, in the UK, for instance, the, the, the COVID-19 task force, um, as they were spinning up additional services um, that they made some purchases from us and a number of US federal state emergency response purchases, um, as well as what you would expect with a lot of onlineers or retailers who suddenly had to, to spin up uh, online services uh, during that time. Um, in the UK specifically, we saw a lot of blue light uh, business growth and uh, that's been an area that, that, that 
that our team in the UK have focused on a lot over, over the last number of years. Um, and a number of, uh, of healthcare applications, as you expect, demand for healthcare uh, apps went up. So yeah, I think that uh, it, it, it was an interesting time uh, over, over the last number of months. It's slightly settled. Um, if there's to be an upside in the pandemic in the, in, in the long term, personally, I think we're going to see a rapid acceleration of digital transformation. Yeah. Um, if you think of schools, of businesses in general, they're going to want to be prepared for the next time that something like this might happen. Hope it doesn't, um, but they're not going to want to take that risk again. So, um, yeah, again, that's, that's some of the trends that we've seen over the last number of months. You and I were talking just before we came on air, actually, and started recording it just, you know, at this this moment in time as we're recording this, um, it feels as though because of the pandemic, the rest of the world in t- technology terms has sort of caught up with us and caught up with the technologies that we've been talking about for uh, for many, many years. Interestingly, though, Ray, most MSPs, most managed service providers that I speak with, um, uh, still think that load balancing is something to do with internet connectivity. Um, but, you know, during COVID-19, you know, you've been providing the technology that's kept all of these applications, all of these remote working applications working. How do you change people's awareness of what load balancing is? Yeah, so the, the, what, I, I think WAN link load balancing is, 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 a, is a separate technology. We don't do that. Uh, we're very much focused on the application load balancing. And so our focus is really on, on, on the server side and ensuring the applications are working. Um, if you've not got enough server capacity, the app experience won't be good. It'll be probably terrible. Um, so we, we look at availability, the ability to be able to switch over your applications if they, if they fail or if there is a server failure. Um, if you need additional resources and capacity, that ability to be able to scale up, you want to be able to do that in, 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 a, in a secure manner. So the load balancer is actually in the data flow, data packets flow in and out of there. It's a logical place to authenticate users uh, to protect applications against attack. Um, and from a performance perspective, you can do some of your offloading, your security offloading or content optimization. Um, and it's also a point of control for, for application availability. Now, when you, when you think about it from a service provider perspective, there's, there's really two different, uh, two different types. So you've got the cloud-hosted services. Um, so the service provider will get an application delivery product suite from Kemp that provides a cost-effective option for managing large-scale public or private cloud environments for their customers. So they'll get end-to-end application visibility, control, management. Um, but we overlay that with a utility-based consumption model, and that's important for the service providers because the service provider then have got a revenue model that's in line um, with their own cost model or a cost model that's in line with their revenue model. Um, The traditional MSP model where where they're managing infrastructure on behalf of their customers, we we offer effective multi-site, multi-cloud application delivery solution. Um, We've got got a lot of years of experience of um, individual application expertise that we would have built up so we take a lot of the configuration work out of the day-to-day so that the technical resources at the MSP don't have to spend weeks in Seattle figuring out how to utilize an F5 product or a Citrix product or something like that. And the entry point um, for a full feature 
technology like that is usually in the hundreds of thousands of dollars of upfront cost. Um, from Kemp, we've made that, that, that barrier to entry pretty much go away. And our, we believe our technology sits at that intersection of application delivery, the business process, but also the application end user. Um, and you're probably right. We 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 have a challenge of uh, to make sure that that awareness is out there. Um, we've wrapped it up in our in our application experience messaging. As I say people just want their stuff to work, and if you can focus the message on the um, the outcome, um, that that's uh, we believe is is is, is our route to, to to getting the message out there. Yeah, here in the UK, I was uh, speaking to one of your team who's become a really good friend, uh, Tim Swainson. Yeah. And um, right. Tim, <laughs> Tim and I were talking about, you know, explaining load balancing to people has become, again, because of COVID-19, um, people understand it now. It's like, you know, you set up all of these remote applications, all these applications to be accessed by perhaps 25% of your workforce remotely previously. And then in March, the great working from home rush, everybody, you know, every business wanted to work from home. Suddenly all of those applications have got to cope with everybody accessing them at the same time. And that's where the load balancing comes in place, just making sure that the application's always on, you know, and it's literally shifting and, and sort of moving the load around between servers and that. So, uh, yeah, you've uh, Kemp have really come into their own during this period. Yeah, it's been um, it's it, it, there's been a rush of of of, of business um, and there's been with some interesting cases too where long term customers would have come to us and said um, you know we're we're in firefighting mode right now um, we we have a need here but we have had to reallocate our budget is there anything you can do to help us out um, and one of our sales guys um, here in the US. Uh, brought that challenge to us, so we we, we brought out a product, um, which is basically it's 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 our highest throughput virtual product, and we were given we've been given that away to businesses for ninety days free of use, including um, professional service support to get them up and running, um, and service throughout the, the 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 ninety days. So they have full feature, top of the range product that they can switch on, get them through the next 90 days. If they want to utilize it afterwards, just send us a check. If they don't, just switch it off and just tell us how they enjoyed the experience. So um, I wasn't sure how, how, how that might go, but we've had north of about 140 customers who have come in through that gate saying, um, look, we, 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 we think we, want, we, we need your technology right now. Um, problem is we've got budget constraints um, and uh, a trial isn't going to do anything or something that's de-featured. So uh, we're really, really impressed with, with, with how, that, how that worked out for us. And you'd be surprised with the size of some of the businesses that fell into that category. In some cases, many thousands of, uh, of employees. Um, yeah. It wasn't just mom and pop shops that, um, you know, that, 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 that suddenly ran into budgeting issues. Yeah, some of the technology that you're using now. I'm a geek, um, Ray. You know my background uh, in managed services. I love the technology. And that some of the technology that you're putting out there absolutely blows my mind when you talk about like the throughput and what you can actually uh, achieve. The thing I wanted to pick up on though is the simplicity. So you touched on this a little bit um, before. Now um, I did a demo of the product that people can find on on our YouTube channel um, with the man with the the 
the best name in the channel, Sid Bloodsaw, uh, from your team. Absolutely love Sid. And Sid gave me, you know, uh, uh, a whole demo of uh, of the Kemp product. And it was how easy it was to deploy, especially when it comes to some of the um, templates that you've got for applications. Now, you know, historically, I, I'm aware of load balancing and it, it actually would have taken a high degree of skill, you know, and training to actually uh, uh, put those things in place, but you, you seem to have got this down to almost like a point and click uh, infrastructure, not to belittle the technology. Yeah, it, it, a lot of it goes back to the to the early DNA of uh, of, of the company, right back in the early two thousands. Um, it was really just large enterprises that might have needed uh, load balancing technology, uh, but the founders at the time felt that, that that eventually the market would come to meet them, um, and. Smaller businesses would would need access to this type of technology, but they wouldn't necessarily have the skill set. Now, our former CTO had a great phrase. He said, it's a complex task to make things simple. Yeah. Um, and the way that we look at it is, let us do the complex work so that the service provider or the end customer doesn't have to spend weeks figuring out how to, to set up the technology. So the, 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 the first question we ask ourselves is, can a non-ADC guru or, or load balancing guru have a chance of setting this product up unaided? And if they can, then we're doing our job right. If they can't, then we're, 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 you know, we need to go back to the drawing board. Um, and we've created a lot of templates um, with recommended settings for various application needs or various uh, uh, setups that, that, that people might need. Um, so you get templates, you get user guides um, and recommended best practice. Now, I've always been strong on support. Support has been a key part of Chem's DNA for a long time. It's critical, it's directly related to our retention of customers and our customer satisfaction. And uh, you know, over the last number of years, it's something we measure very, very closely. 99% on a weekly basis um, is, is, is where our support statistics come out. And we also manage our net promoter score um, for, for people that, that follow that. Our, our net promoter score is, is, is really vital source of information around what our customers think of us, uh, what they think we can do better, and reacting to that. And um, our NPS is consistently above 50, which um, in, in NPS terms is uh, falls into the excellent category. Yeah. Now, we strive for world-class, which is where, say, the apples of this world are in the 70, 75. Um, we're working towards that, but that's, that, that's a really, really key part of, um, of, of our DNA. Yeah, I interviewed uh, fellow CEO uh, Gil Peckelman of um, uh, a Tel Aviv-based Atera recently, and, and Gil's got the same sort of drive towards simplicity. And he he's got the um, the the thought process that complex apps just don't get used, um, and that's what struck me about uh, Kemp as well. It's you know it is a complex technology just made simple, and um, you, but you, you're doing some incredible stuff specifically. I'm seeing some amazing work that you're doing in the field of predictive analytics, so proactively detecting issues before they occur. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that technology works? Sure, yeah. So how it came about was um, over, let's say, the last 10 years, we would have been involved in between 40 and 50,000 separate uh, professional services and support engagements with, with our customers. And we built up a lot of um, use cases and configuration intelligence over 
what might happen if you're in this particular um, situation. Um, and we felt, why don't we just productize that knowledge? So if we, if we could productize that knowledge using some of the latest tools and AI tools to, to, to bring that information together, um, we could provide some actionable insights based on what we have seen in, in the environment. So how does the app respond um, if there's particular network issues or server issues? It's all around the context of the app and the environment. It's not about the load balancer. It's it's, it's how the, the app is working in the environment. And we can utilize the, the load balancer to get information, be that in, in, in a cloud environment or an on-prem environment. And essentially what we do then is we provide notification out to the customer um, and tell him that, look, we're, we're, we're seeing this situation going on in, in, in your configuration. Um, we, we, we think that you could deploy this fix here and it might help the situation. So here's, here, here's what you can do. Either we can fix it for you or you can apply the fix yourself or you can choose to ignore it. Um, and it's helping significantly in terms of bringing down the mean time to, to repair or mean time to, to detection um, across these issues. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the differentiators that we've, we've built onto our product um, over over the last number of years. And the knock-on benefit to us, as well as the revenue, uh, is that it's actually cut down significantly for, for users of Vision for the amount of times they have to engage with support or they need to come to us for support. 30, 40% of, uh, of reduction from those customers. Um, so, you know, it's, it's something that we, um, uh, we're, we're very proud of and we think has got a lot of legs over the next number of years. Yeah, and rightfully so. We, you know, I've I've interviewed a lot of people on this podcast, and one of the recurring themes is that you've got to look for opportunities as an MSP to lower your cost of support as well as increase revenue. So what you've talked about there is just a prime example. You know, thirty to forty percent reduction in tickets. Um, you, you know, great for you, but also great for the for the solution providers as well because they don't want to be bothering the vendors. They don't want to be bothering you asking questions all the time. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I want to touch on something else as well. You've, you've mentioned it very briefly. I, I've seen Kemp as being very disruptive in the load balancing market, and I mean that as a, a compliment, Ray. For instance, you've, you've established that metered licensing model so that businesses can sort of scale up and scale down. I guess my question is, how do you ensure that you're innovating and removing the instinct to rest on your laurels? Because you've already done a great job. How do you keep going and not just say, right, we're finished here? Yeah, so um, well, firstly, on the, on the metering, how that, how that came about was if all things all things being equal and, and costs not being um, factoring into to, to the equation, um, if, you, if you're a developer of an app, um, you would have a one-to-one relationship between the app and the load balancer because that, that would be the most efficient way to do it. But the reason you don't do it that way is really because it's down to us vendors. Our, us vendors have, have packaged our products in a way that it's not really cost effective uh, to, to do per app load balancing. Um, so we, we, we thought about bringing it out from, um, look, use 
whatever cost structure um, makes sense for you. So whether you want to buy multiple individual units or you want to uh, just take a metered approach where whatever is flowing through the applications is what you pay for. That allows people to do that per app. And one-to-one is better than than, than one-to-many from, from, from an application uh, scale-out perspective. So it's a lower no-cost um, entry barrier, um, and, and you can scale it up and scale it down very, very easy. Now, in terms of staying up to date, we talk to our customers, we, we take feedback from them on what they would like, and we build that into our planning process. We don't chase every feature they ask for, but we'll investigate each feature and see, does it make sense for us? Is it something that would be useful for, for, for other customers? You don't want to build bespoke um, product development. It doesn't make any sense to do it uh, that way. But if it's something that's repeatable and it's usable and we can market it out, um, that, that, that type of feedback is invaluable. We talk a lot to the analyst community. Um, all good technology companies, basically your, your challenge is to try to predict the future. So if you're going to try to predict the future, talk to as many people as possible, get informed, talk to customers about what, where they're going with their journey, talk about Talk to the analysts in terms of what they believe is going to happen down down the line. And as I said earlier, it's not about the load balancer. It's about the app and their use cases. That environment is very important. So it's very important for us to stay up to date with what the application vendors are doing, understanding what where they're going with their roadmaps, and then we react accordingly. And all the time, you've got to be thinking around security around these and, and, and new challenges around that. So um, we've got a great product development team, product management teams at, at Kemp, um, and, and they always have, have one eye or both eyes into to, to where we should be going over over the next number of years. Yeah. Now you've been CEO since 2012, right? 2012. Yeah. 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 I, I, I was just looking at the sort of the uh, the growth curve that you've experienced. I mean, 2014, you experienced I think it was 499.1 percent increase in business. So let's call it a 500 percent increase in business, which is really impressive. But it feels as though you've not even yet scratched the surface for solution providers in terms of, you know, what you can help them achieve. How big do you see the opportunity for MSPs with load balancing? Um, yeah, so, so the, the MSP space is the, the fastest growing um, part of our, our business right now. I was just looking at the statistics for uh, 2020 to date. Um, and uh, our service provider business is up 27%. Back in 2018, we had 30 service providers that uh, were, were paying us on a recurring basis. That's north of 200 now. I think we had a dozen alone over the last month, um, some statistics I was looking at. Um, so service providers are continuously challenged to try to differentiate. Um, they're, they're looking for dedicated, managed hybrid cloud offering, but they need, to, to, they need that at a, at a competitive price. And we think that we've got a, a, a really compelling price performance um, pitch for them um, and ease of use to cut to, to take their costs down. So uh, we, we, believe, we believe we're enabling the service provider to easily provision at any scale and without any unnecessary complexity as they're scaling their business. Um, and, and that can be done in a dedicated manner or a per app manner, as I, as I mentioned earlier. Um, they can dedicate small form factor hardware or, or large 
form factor or unlimited capacity uh, load balancers. So that's uh, that, that's that's part of what we're um, uh, we're, we're driving to in, in terms of our service provider value proposition. And we're also um, you know we've got some dedicated people uh, in, in in some of our key markets working that um, as, a, as a channel partnership rather than as a, as a customer relationship. Because to, to me, the customer isn't the service provider, it's who they are servicing. And we want to make sure that we're in it together uh, with them and, uh, and, and you know, driving, driving the right type of disciplines in our business that supports their business model. Yeah. The reason I've become such a big fan of Kemp in a short period of time is that I, you know, I've always got an eye to the future of managed service providers and, you know, MSPs have constantly got to evolve with, uh, you know, the demands from the market. I see load balancing and specifically what Kemp are doing as an opportunity for MSPs to have conversations with clients they would not otherwise be talking to. You know, to you know, to get into to markets and to speak to clients that perhaps they wouldn't otherwise uh, uh, touch, and it all comes down to what you were saying. You know, what, what the clients need, what the clients want in terms of their application experience. Co- correct. Yes. Yes. And there, there are so many different uh, applications, and you know, our application experience story uh, is, is resonating. It's it's really around simplified deployments, more flexible licensing options. And you overlay that then with world-class technical and professional support. And if you can do that in a package, um, it, 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 it's more than just understanding the bits and bytes of a, of a load balancing technology or, or an application for that matter. Yeah. So we mentioned you've been CEO since 2012. What do you enjoy about that role? <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's, um, there, there's, I guess, a lot of different uh, uh, parts of the business that, that, that you're involved in. Um, I, I, I suppose what, what I'm passionate about um, has, uh, well, firstly, the, the, the CEO to me is, it's a jack of all trades role. And, and, and the rest of that is that you're maybe a master of none. So if you're a master of none of the trades, you have to build strong teams around you and, and, and strong leaders around you. So you surround yourself with those smart people and we've got loads of those at camp. Um, there's aspects of the business that, uh, that, 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 that I do behind closed doors, which is really around the planning and the strategy side. And that's very much focused with the management team and the key stakeholders. Um, I'm passionate about the leadership development because you need leaders everywhere across uh, your, your, your organization. And I really enjoy working with leaders um, and, and, and seeing them develop uh, over years. Um, I, I like taking complexity out of out of processes, um, and at Kemp, what we're trying to do is to make ourselves an easy business to to, to deal with. So that continuous improvement is really vital to us. And, and earlier in my career, I worked in um, in a quality management role, um, and, and, and I bring that thinking with me everywhere I go. So we use those principles to make us better. Uh, you know, it's it's it, if if you, if you can have that scenario where you're constantly challenging the business to be better on behalf of our customers and our employees. Um, you know, that's that 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 they're vital things that you can do on a on, on a day to day basis. 
Yeah, let's dig into that a little bit, actually. So you've got Kempers, uh, you know, you've mentioned you've got over 25,000 customers worldwide, 115 com- uh, countries that you serve. There's all manner of sort of vertical markets there. On a professional level, how does Ray Downs keep current on what your clients' needs actually are? <laughs> yeah, um, that's, uh, that, 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 I mean, you could spend a lot of your time researching um, on, on an ongoing basis. Um, I, I, I suppose what, what we've done is we, 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 we spend a lot of time uh, talk, talking to customers, talking to um, uh, influencers that are out there like yourself to, uh, to, to, to understand um, what's important in the, in the market. From um, an internal perspective, um, I'm looking at our key projects uh, on, on a regular basis, looking at what the technical requirements are, how we're reacting to them, how we're prioritizing them, um, and also talking to the salespeople around their account management. Who, 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 are, who are the accounts um, that they're having in, interesting conversations with? Um, I sit on the product steering committee. I'm not deeply technical, but it's important enough for me to sit on that every single week. And, and that the product steering committee is the intersection between product management, marketing, and development. Um, and it's, it's where we map out our next 24 to 36 months of, of development um, and how, how that impacts from a business perspective. So, that, that, that it's really important for me to, uh, to, to, to sit in and contribute there or to at least hear, hear what's, uh, what's part of that discussion process. Um, I'm sure there's people that sit on that that say, I don't add a lot of value, uh, but I get a lot of value out of it. And I guess yeah. that, um, that, that, that's important. I love get on, getting out on the road. And uh, before this pandemic happened, uh, I, I happened to go out to India where we opened a new office uh, back in March. Um, and I get, I get out to Asia to visit some of our partners and customers and our, and, and our, and our offices out there um, once a year. I do about four trips a year to Europe, and I'll turn up wherever I'm asked to turn up here in the U.S. to, to, to support the, uh, the, the effort. So for, for me, that's how, how I keep current. There's a couple of, uh, of industry events that I will take in, um, a, a number of investor events I find really good. Um, but there's also some of, say, the Gartner IT Symposium, which is very much aimed at the CIO level. It's, a, it's conversations that are elevated up um, in, in, in terms of business and strategy and technology coming together. And uh, that's, that's a week out of my diary every year, uh, which it's hard to lose a week on something like that. But uh, it's, it's, it's where you can pick up a lot of industry trends and uh, refreshes the mind. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. And we'll include links to to all the events and other bits and pieces we spoke about in the show notes for this as well. You mentioned um, India. How many staff do you uh, do Kemp employ worldwide now? So we're just over 200 uh, staff at the moment across uh, six different offices. So yeah, lots of time zones to manage. Yeah. How do you manage teams across so many different continents and time zones? Like, How how does that work for you in practice? (laughs) Yeah, so... um, I, I, I guess we 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 have we have good communication through, throughout the organisation. So we we will we will do say quarterly all hands meeting, but we'll also do local site meetings that people can dial into remotely as well um, on on a monthly basis. Um, so for instance, uh, Singapore is the furthest out time zone. That's minus twelve hours to here in New York. 
Um, so on a Sunday evening, my time, I can participate in their all hands meeting, which is Monday morning, their time. Um, we have India, which is that odd nine and a half hour time difference. Um, so at this very early in my morning, I'm able to catch the end of their day. Um, and then, then, then you support the European hours, so the, the six hours to Central Europe, five hours to, to Ireland. And then you can focus on, on, on the US time zones. Um, so they could be very long days if, if you were trying to do that all in, in, in one particular day. Uh, we don't. We, 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 we focus it a lot on um, making sure that uh, we, we have a good rhythm of meetings that are planned well in advance. So we'll have quarterly business reviews. Um, we'll have a couple of strategy sessions for all the, the, the key leaders per year. We do a sales kickoff. Um, we do a global one this year. We do regional ones at, at other points. And then we bring many of our leaders together a couple of times a year from, from a development perspective. So um, it seems like you have to be involved in everything and I'd like to be involved in everything, but it's just not physical to physically possible to be able to do it. So the most important thing is make sure that everybody who is involved um, are up to speed on what we're doing as a business, have got access to, to me or the leadership team to participate where, where possible. Um, and, and, and people are really well able to lead themselves. Um, and, and, and that's what you, you, you should always be striving for. Yeah, I love that advice. Surround yourself with good people and communicate well. I think that's going to be, um, you know, every team is a remote team as we record this um, because of the pandemic and that. So uh, that's, that's really good advice. Um, what do you find the most challenging about your role as a CEO? Is there any aspects of it that you don't really enjoy? Um, I, I think it's, well, some of the challenges are getting that right balance between the day-to-day, -day, and I love being involved in the day-to-day, -day, but also the strategic side of it and, um, you know, the investor relations uh, side of it takes up a, a fair bit of time. Um, making myself available to, to teams is, 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 is important to me and providing transparency around what my focus is and, and, and activities. I had a a one-to-one -one the other day with um, with one of the R&D leaders that I'm involved in the mentoring program with, and uh, he put it really well. He said that ultimately he felt that my job um, was to excite people about the journey we are on and how we are going to get there. Um, so his job then is to empower the team so that they can keep people engaged in the tasks but with an understanding of the bigger picture down the line. So um, there, there's a lot of challenges in all of that, but there's no aspect that I would turn around and say that, that, that I dislike. I, I see it all um, I see it all as part of, uh, of, of, of the role on an ongoing basis. Yeah, something I've just picked up on. So the listeners at home won't be able to hear this, but on our video, I can see you've got tons of running medals i'm going to guess in the background there is, is that one way that you uh that, that you deal with i guess the stresses of being a ceo you enjoy running i i, I do yeah yeah i um I, I run a couple of thousand miles a year um my wow. wife would say obsessively uh <laughs> running um it's uh I, I i get a lot out of it it gives me a lot of personal time to myself to think um, but I also enjoy the competitive side. So when I moved to the States back in uh, seven or eight years ago, um, I got involved in a number of running groups um, just to meet people more than anything else. And then uh, I got involved in clubs and joined teams. So I've been competitively running um, for the last 
four or five years. Um, I'd probably race about 20 times a year. Everything from 800 meters on the track up to ultra marathons on the on the trail. But I do love marathons, and uh, um, I've I've got a lot out of that. Um, last November, I got a chance to give something back. Actually, um, one of my training buddies, uh, she's a, a coach, and she was. She's training an athlete with learning disabilities um, and uh, she was getting him ready for a marathon. She asked me if I would be his guide for the New York City Marathon last November. And that was an, uh, an incredible experience. Um, uh, it was great that getting that, that gentleman, Jonathan Lee, through a marathon for the first time and to get him in under his four-hour goal as well. So for as much as he got out of it and his family got out of it, I, I got I got tons of, uh, of of personal enjoyment out of that. And as I say, it was great to be able to to give something back to to a sport that I've got so much out of over over many years. Oh, that's wonderful! Wonderful to hear. Um, your role as CEO is there any been any sort of influence on you professionally is there any mentors or uh, anybody that you can think of that you would state as being influential on you yeah i i, I would say that, that that i've been very very lucky um uh firstly with, with the investors that that, uh, that we have uh part of the 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 value add as they would see it is uh, is giving you access to 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 mentors and um uh, back in 2012, when, when I first took on the CEO role, um, our venture backers back then introduced me to a guy called John Becker. And John is uh, or was the CEO of Sourcefire, which Cisco acquired for a couple of billion dollars. So John has been on my board since then um, and is always available from, from a mentorship perspective. And most recently, when, when we changed ownership uh, to Millpoint Capital, um, they provided me with two operating partners that, that, that sit on, on our board. One of them, Rick Marcotte, was the founder of DLT, one of the large distributors here in, in the United States. They've recently got acquired by Tech Data. So uh, Rick and I would chat on, on an ongoing basis. Um, I, I also have a, a professional leadership coach that, that I work with uh, back in 2010. To take my own game onto the next level, I felt that I, that I needed that, and I started working with a guy called Paul O'Kelly, an Irishman like myself. His background is very much in terms of sport and sports management, sports leadership, um, but he's built a very, very good business um, strategy uh, element, and uh, he, he works with a lot of high-growth companies. So he's been a personal coach to me uh, for the last decade. Um, and he also works in that capacity for the rest of my leadership team. And he's involved deeply in helping us to set our strategy and training the next layer of leadership. So, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a privilege to get to work with these guys and to get the benefit of, um, of, of, of their experience and then maybe to be able to hand some of that on to our own people. Yeah, it's interesting, Ray, I'll share with you. I speak to lots of MSPs and when I share with them that, uh, I've got a business coach, a lovely South African woman, Tiana Wilson Bays, and they they express a bit of surprise. They're like, "Well, you've sort of been there and done that, and, and you've still got a coach." But I mean, the fact that you've shared that you've got different mentors and different coaches for for, for different areas of your business, I think would I be right in saying it doesn't matter um, how experienced or how successful um, you get, there's always more to learn, isn't there? There, there is, and um, you know, I'm I'm learning the whole time. I was. Uh, 
I, I had no experience of leading an international global business uh, seven or eight or nine years ago when I took it on. Um, and I could not have done it without, without help. Uh, initially, I had help from the co-founder um, at Camp Peter Mellerud, who um, is certainly a, an influence and, and, a, and, a, and a close friend of, of, of mine. We've, we've worked together very closely over, over the last number of years. But, you know, we, we would both at time to times um, we would chat with one another and we would also feel that we need to chat to other people to, ha- to help us you know move our own game on and um, you know you, you you get feedback and you embrace feedback um, and the tougher that feedback is the better because yeah, you'll be the better for us in the long run. Yeah. Are there any um, books that you've uh, that have been influential on you? Anything that you've read that you recommend, or maybe even give us up, give to gifts of us to other people? Um, well, um, on a business book, we, we <laughs> yeah, Kemp brought out its own application experience book, um, and there's links everywhere. I think on our website, it's available on on, on Amazon as well. Um, one of our resources, Ben Hodge, who, who um, is on the R and D part of our organization, wrote that book, and it's 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 really written for for the application user. Um, but on on a personal level, I, I read a lot of business books, and 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 one that I would recommend is one that was written by a guy called Kevin Lawrence called Your Oxygen Mask First, and Kevin. I was introduced to Kevin in at the uh, UCD University College Dublin a couple of years ago. He was uh, he was he was there to promote his book, um, and it was actually Paula Kelly that brought me to to, to the seminar. And, and and essentially, it's 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 a set of habits to survive and thrive in business and life. And Kevin um, Kevin said something that stuck with me ever since. He, he he talked about leadership, and he said it either forces you to get stronger or it slowly destroys your life. Um, and, and I guess most leaders can empathize with that. But the, the premise of his book, it's you, you have to find that space for yourself between work and life. You can only serve those in work and life if you're the best version of yourself. And it's something um, that maybe a lot of leaders spend a lot of time focused on, on, on their work or their life or their work or, or, and their life. So it's not so much about that work-life balance, that the proper thing should be work-self-life balance. Um, So I read that book, and I've probably read it three times over the last couple of years. Um, and, and, And I have got a lot of out of it. It's things it talks about, you know, wellness and 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 your body, your mind, your spirit. Um one of the tips I I remember, and he 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 talks about it. I think he calls it uh, licking your toads, as in frogs. Um, he said you should really deal with the most annoying things you have to do first. Get them out of the way. You'll feel better once you have to do it. And if if you're like me and you make lists, and I and I make lists of what I need to do, um, like everybody, you tend to leave the things you you like least until the very very end. But if you if you switch that on its head and you do them first to get them out of the way, you 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 know you can breathe in then and 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 you can move forward from that. So um, yeah. he also talks about embracing that tough uh, feedback. And there's 15 or 16 other pieces. He, I think there's even a workbook that 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 comes with it. But you know I'm uh, it's a book that I've read a few times, got a lot of value out of, and I would recommend any any leader out there to. Um, to, to, to take it, read it on the beach. It might make uh, a bit more sense to you there. That's where, where I first read it after, after speaking with Kevin. 
yeah, and that was Kevin Lawrence. Kevin Lawrence, yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll include that in the show notes. That's a book I'm unfamiliar with, so thank you for the recommendation. Yeah, sure. What's something about you? What's something about Ray Downs that people might find surprising? Um, yeah, well, I, su- I suppose the um, the running thing, um, which which I'd mentioned earlier. Um, there's a, a an interesting backdrop to to that. My my running career. I I, I ran a couple of marathons in 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 my early twenties, um, and then I had a horrendous leg break. I broke my leg in six places, um, and it was badly put back together. Um, but the one thing I was clearly told was uh, you can forget about running again, you know, go go to the gym, lift weights, do whatever, um, but, but anything like that. So I actually didn't run for an entire decade. Um, and I used to go to, to, to the gym a bit and, and, and I started to get somewhat brave for 10 years after, after that. And I got up on the treadmill and I did a few small runs and built up over, over time um, and got back then into, 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 into decent shape and, and, you know, back into, in, in, into marathon shape again. Um, so I suppose that, that, that's something somewhat unique. Uh, pe- people here in, in the company and, and friends here would say, oh, yeah, you, you're, you're very fit. You're, you, you must have always done that. Well, there was an entire decade of my life I didn't do that. Um, and don't let anybody tell you that, um, that there's nothing you can't do if you put your mind to it. Um, yeah. So that's something. That's that, yeah, wow. yeah. I'm pretty pretty proud of being able to to get back after, um, as I say, an entire decade and uh, broke a leg in six places. That's uh, oh, doesn't give me any trouble these days. Wow. Well, congrats on that. That that's an incredible comeback. And thank you for sharing that. Really appreciate. It. I know we're in uh, as we record this, Ray. We're in the um, um, still in the period of lockdown and that. But do you have any uh, races? Have you got any big races sort of scheduled? Um, actually, I, I was meant to be running Boston this year. It was cancelled in April, and then it was rescheduled for September, and it's since been been cancelled again. Um, it really depends on what opens up and when. I, I mean, honestly, I, I was hoping to get my twentieth, twenty first, and twenty second marathons in this year, um, but. I, I think that they may all have to be pushed out. I, I would say the next big one I'll probably end up running will be Los Angeles um, in 2021. But if anything frees up between now and then, I'm staying in shape just in case. But um, yeah. unfortunately, you know, these things, there's large crowds of 30,000, 40,000 people. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's unlikely we'll, we'll see one of those events in 2020. Yeah. Well, you waited 10 years, as you say. You can probably wait a few months longer because I'm sure they're just around the corner, aren't they? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Ray, I'm very, very conscious of time. You're the CEO of one of the uh, largest growing companies in the world. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to to speak to me today. Thanks so much for your time. If anybody listening wanted to continue the conversation with you to reach out to you, how can they reach you? Uh, yeah, well, certainly um, there's executive profiles on the website that have uh, LinkedIn contacts from there. So that's probably the quickest way to get it. But I, I am available on, on LinkedIn. Uh, easy to easy, easy to search for me uh, there. No problem at all. 
Marvellous. Ray, thank you very fun. much for taking the time. It was a great conversation. Oh, I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. And uh, and perhaps we can uh, we can catch up in the future again to see where Kemp have moved forward and to hear about your uh, latest marathon when you've got <laughs> uh, 19, 20 and 21 done. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I look forward to that and maybe, maybe catch up in person at some stage when all this dies down. I look forward to it. Ray, yeah. thanks so much for your time. Right. Thank you. Hey folks, Richard here. Thanks for listening today. I know you've got a ton of options for who you listen to nowadays, so I really appreciate your support. Do you have any feedback on this episode? Ideas for future guests? Tweet me at Tublog using the hashtag TubTalk. I respond to every tweet and really appreciate your feedback. 